What's up guys? In today's episode, we're going to give you our highlight package of this last weekend's racing at Rock the Boat. And then we're going to get into the prestigious Buffalo Regatta, which is a massive event coming up this weekend. Whilst we're talking about Buffalo, Jake has an awesome segue where he chats to a rowing veteran who won the Grand Challenge in 1974. Hello boys and girls, ladies and gents, this is Lawrence. And this is Jake. And let's get the show on the road. Welcome to The Row Show. We are your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jay Green. This is a podcast where we're going to be going into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion Winning. to be the best. To be the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, roles, Passion. Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> So the general Rock the Boat Regatta has a very interesting format where everyone enters one event regardless of their age, gender or boat class and the winner is determined by the crew that rows closest to their respective Rock the Boat time, which is a time adjusted of that class's world record. So for example, if you're racing in the men's 8, the world record is a 5.18, so the Rock the Boat time for each age group is predicted off the 5.18, so obviously as the, the age group gets younger, the time gets slower and it's just like a one big handicap system. The regatta is fairly complicated and I hope to see some effort from the, the regatta team to try and help people understand it a little bit better and I'd also really like to see them release the Rock the Boat times uh, to the public next year. But the reason for having everyone in, in one event is to produce some extremely close racing. After a massive hedge race where close to 300 crews raced down the course, each crew is assigned a final determined by their time in the hedge race and this produced some cracker racing. Yeah, and the regatta just keeps getting bigger each year and, and with this year, 300 crews doing the hedge race, that, that makes it the biggest hedge race in the Southern Hemisphere. But the regatta is geared towards competitive racing and it's all about enjoyment for the spectator and for the, the crews taking part. Yeah, and like we, we chatted to, to Matt and James last week, they really explained that how their, their goal is to make really close racing for every crew down the track. And that is pretty much what happened. I mean, if you look at some of the races, the G final, where, they, where all eight crews qualified within four seconds. I mean, to have your crews, to have a, a race where you line up and you know that everyone on the start line is within four seconds of you is is pretty daunting. I mean, that that is a cracker race, isn't no, it? no matter what you get. It is It is a, a massive race. And also, the great thing about Rock the Boat, you don't have to be a top-class performer to be able to get your competitive aspect of the racing. G final people are still getting good race done within four seconds and also if you look at the different kind of mix of crews we're getting the start line of the D final had an under 23 lightweight men's single under 23 men's pair girls under 19 cast quad an under 19 men's double a senior women's double a master's quad an under 19 men's single and then 23 women's eight, and they all finished within 11 seconds. That's uh, quite a nice <laughs> <mouthful, laughs> like, but uh, yeah, it's really, it's just so crazy that you can have Singles, eights, quads, goals, guys, just everyone racing, uh, lining up against each other in racing, which I think that for me is what makes the regatta just so yeah. awesome. I mean, and I mean, we didn't race this weekend and it was really crap to be on the bank, but it was also really cool to be able to see these races come down and see guys, uh, school kids fighting for their pride against either their younger age groups or against some of the girls or, you know, there's just, there's just so much more competition on the water when it's just different to every other weekend of racing. Yes, of course. And, you know, between the two of us, I, you know, I had a couple of good picks of racing from this weekend. Um, I know for me in the B final, I 
had a, I had a special investment in a good friend of mine, KG Racing, in the, the senior men's double, heavyweight double. And he was a guy up against his lightweight compatriots in the senior lightweight men's double. So, you know, you'd never want to lose to a lightweight as a heavyweight. And it was a very close race at the end. And I think Nick and Vaughan, who were in the lightweight double, did pip them on the line. But, I mean, it was, it was very close. Like, yeah, and this is in the mix of six other crews like going at them and and that's where the racing it just is insane i mean it is so close and uh, that was a really cool race they actually we could literally talk about every single final and the close racing yes. in it but we got a few highlights so obviously that one was for that one was jakey's but uh the the two that i really really liked was the the parktown eight versus the cares eight so the parktown eight actually were a little bit quicker in the heads race in the early in the morning racing four seconds up and, and were the fastest two crews at the regatta. So those two eights were, were really quick in the morning's racing. And then in the final, they had to go ape at each other to, to hold it all off. And I mean, that's a rivalry that's been going for many years. And especially this season where Kez have consistently just put Parktown on the line. And, and the, the, the rivalry is really growing between those two schools. So it's awesome to see them go off at it uh, against each other in the, in the final but then right next to them so that was lane three and four and in lane two and five were the two senior men's fours the heavyweight fours was also really close between them a lot of pride on the line and and just such a cool race what did you think of that yeah i mean the the men's fours uh boats were filled with all the heavyweight athletes that are trialing this year for you know, the world champs and all the other World Cup regattas. So that that too, that little mini battle going on there represents the competition going in the wider selection process in senior SA. And you know, the top four, top eight athletes were split into those two fours. You know, I, I can't I can't really tell you if it was a top four and a second four. Although I mean, obviously on the day someone won, but it's going to be interesting to see if those two, if that combination stays for the Grand Challenge this this weekend's racing. Yeah, and I also think uh, Roger's just trying to 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 gauge where where the guys are at, and and so he's chosen these two fours. And in the heads race, they were ridiculously close. There was 0.1 uh, of a second between the two fours, and the one four majority under 23s. That's all. Charles Britton, uh, Luke Defarn, James Mitchell, and then Leo Davis is the only senior in that crew. They young bucks up and coming uh, into the team and, and really starting to to show some good speed and I think they were a lot closer to the to the other crew than anyone had thought of and the other crew was uh, I mean had just a lot of depth and a lot of talent in there I mean that's John Smith Olympic gold medalist uh, David Hunt who raced with you fourth place at the Olympics in the four Carl Scumby big Ugo Puller in the team silver and, medalist at the under 23s and the silver medalist on under 23s and um, Sandro Torrente which was uh, he stroked the four and he really really up and coming so much speed he raced in the pair at last year's world champs so yeah I think that on paper though that that four was going to do a bit more damage than they, they did at the end of the day uh, they did in the final they put a little bit more into into the race and uh, that they had a massive sprint i think that's coming from johnny in the middle there no without a doubt i've raced in front of john and i can tell you that this man knows how to sprint he's won an olympic gold medal and when you get into a boat with him you can understand exactly why he does yeah so those that that group of four racing uh, was really cool because the eight also got caught napping a little bit through the middle of the race when the when the four started to turn the screws uh, those senior guys just can uh, crank out the rate so much higher. So I think they just uh, had more gears at the end of the race and the, the eights finished uh, third or fourth there in that final. And the other really, really cool race that I want to chat about is the lighted women's double. I mean, they winners of the regatta 
and just such a good performance from them. But they also had a cracker race against the St. Ormond's first double. So it was really, really awesome to watch that come down the track. Yeah, and um, like Lawrence said, the winners of the day was the, the golden double, Kirsten McCann and Nicole Van Veek. They won the overall event and we can tell you that they actually walked the regatta and Lawrence and I have been given an ex- exclusive peek to the percentages and then we can tell you that they won the regatta by nearly 2.5% which is a massive margin. And you know what, it doesn't surprise me because Nicole has won this event in the past. In 2016, and uh, Kirst won last year. So that's two previous winners going into one boat class and uh, smashing it out. They both uh, had really good performances in the single, in the lightweight singles last year. Nicole winning the bronze at uh, under-23s and Kirst winning the, the gold, obviously, at uh, World Champs. So putting them together was really, really cool to see. And also, like we had spoken uh, to Kirst, it was interesting to see Rog starting to think about the double, starting to see, test that combination and see how they're going to um, perform. Because at the end of the day, Kirst can't race the, the single at the Olympics. She has to go into a double and, and, and the long-term goal is that double. So very, very exciting to see them perform. And then to see them have such a close race against another double, obviously two guys, but uh, still, I mean, just... I mean, that's the whole point of the regatta is to actually get competitive racing. And I don't think Kirsten and Nicole, considering how good they are in the country, they wouldn't get a competitive race in their field. Yeah, so, if, I mean, if they just race light red women's doubles in South Africa, you, you, you're never going to race a crew that's anywhere near you. So to have them line up and, and be able to race the... The schoolboy doubles was really, really cool. And I mean, that schoolboy double is, is a, was a mean machine as well. And really, also, just, just in the last 300 meters, managed to, to pull away a little bit more power, obviously, at the end. but And maybe a little bit more pride as well. As yes, well. No, of course. <laughs> you both did a double. You got these two girls screaming down your neck. And, oh, man, I can just imagine uh, the bowman there screaming at the stroke and yeah. telling you we cannot lose this race. And I mean, you know, Lawrence mentioned the Olympics earlier and with Kirsten Nicole racing in this double, this is almost our first sneak uh, peek into the blueprint for what may, may be racing in 2020. You know, it's interesting how this year goes. He, he mentioned earlier that Kirst can't race the lightweight single at the Olympics and neither can Nicole for that matter. And with Nicole just finishing under 23s, it's going to be great to see if she can convert that performance that she had last year into this year's double if they race the double at World Champs. And watching them this weekend, I think that they there's a good chance that then Rog realizes that there's a lot of speed there and and puts them both in the double. Because also if you if you select a single, then only one of them goes to World Champs. So I would imagine that uh, he would be quite happy to send them in the in the double. And excited to see. And I think that they will put on a really good performance. I mean, those are two world class athletes. If you put them up against the best in the world in the life of women's double then uh, I believe they will still come away with, with really good results. And then, yeah, moving on from that, in second place, we had the men's four, like we were talking with uh, David Hunt, John, Carl, and Sandra in it. They came second, and, you know, obviously, as a heavyweight sympathizer, I would like them to be a bit closer, but each year you're going to get a bit better, and hopefully maybe one day we'll see a heavyweight on top of this regatta. Yeah, I think the heavyweights have a massive curse at the, the Rock the Boat <laughs> regatta. Every single year we finish second, with uh, the girls 90% of the time beating us. And, oh, man, it's it burns us. I think John is now becoming the king of the silver medal at Rock the Boat. I think he's got more <laughs> silvers at Rock the Boat than any other medals from any other event, which is uh, pretty funny. Uh, third place, though, was really awesome to see was the St. Ormond's Under-19 single scholar, which is uh, Liam Smith 
and what an awesome race from him. I mean, to be able to to come in and, uh, you know, the school, I dig it when the school kids uh, are up on the podium at Rock the Boat. It just shows that, that we have some really class athletes coming up and coming from from the school ages yes of course and it's going to be interesting to see if if you can convert that strong performance to sa champs we'll see what happens is there anyone obviously there are a couple of co- there are quite a few coastal crews that don't race like the boat so it's going to be interesting to see if liam can hold his nerve against the coastal crews that will be joining him at sa champs and then going forward if liam can convert this performance into something more memorable in south african colors yeah, that'll be it'll be really cool to see how that uh, how his the rest of his season, which is not a long time, not a lot left. Uh, so to see how that plays out. So that's the top three of the Rock the Boat Regatta, and I would just like to mention that we also had two Masters quads in the top ten, which is really really cool because just to those guys are rowing at the dam every week and they're often entering regattas. So it's really cool to see that their speed uh, in a, on a global scale over all the other events is is really respectable and, and I mean you know, it's hard to compare boat classes but when you've got an event like this you can and and that's what's it's very cool to see these guys and they are like stalwarts of South African rowing no yes they are uh, Ivan Pence has been to the Olympics uh, in 1992 in the 8th so awesome to see him still still competing and still putting out good results yes of course and it just goes to show that the pedigree of South African rowing starts from a historical perspective in Barcelona yeah, and then going into into the, the 1K race, uh, just a quick mention to the JP under-15 quad who, who rode, they crushed that event as well. I think they won it by 2%. Uh, when I was chatting to James, he was saying that they, they raced uh, close to, to 90, or just over 94% of the Rock the Boat time, which is very respectable for, for, for where they're at and, and exciting to see how they can translate speed next year at Rock the Boat when they're starting to race the, the 2K event. So really exciting to see a lot of young quality athletes coming up and, and really cool racing at Rock the Boat. But with Rock the Boat this weekend, a lot of crews just testing um, combinations for, for the Buffalo Regatta. So let's get uh, in to this Buffalo Regatta, which is down in East London here, Jake. Yes, no, it's down in East London. And for those of you listening that, that don't know what this regatta is about, it was founded in 1881 and it is amongst the oldest organized sporting competition in this country. To give you a, a kind of comparison to a, to almost a better known competition, it's 10 years older than the Curry Cup. So, you know, this regatta has been around for a long time and every year it attracts hundreds of crews and that makes it the largest rowing comp- competition in the country. Since the regatta was founded in 1881, it's been held every single year since, with the exception of the World War years. It sees schools, clubs and universities all compete over the course of three days. In between these three days, you have the Selborne Sprints, a 500-meter sprint regatta, which was introduced to in the 50s to get schools more involved in rowing. And it's still around today to give you some really close racing, especially for the spectators. And I tell you, with the eight racing over two kilometers when it comes to 500 meters, you know, you usually see, you know, strength, different strengths come out and different crews win the event. And because it's on a, on a river, it just makes the racing like so exciting. So we're so used to racing on the dam on this perfect lake. I mean, River Park 90% of the time is really quality conditions to race in. And then you go down to Buffalo and the wind can do horrific things. I mean, it blows head, tail, uh, just absolutely berserk. And then you've got the, the current coming in from the sea, which also makes the, the racing really, really crazy. And uh, you get some <laughs> exciting antics down the, down the track. Yeah, no, you Buffalo. do. You get fast times and slow times. I've rode, I remember a couple of years ago, I was in an under-23 pair, 
we rode the world record in the current. It was disgusting. Yeah, and I know that when Sean, uh, I think it's back in it's somewhere 2008, 2009, the, the conditions were so slow that he won Silver Skull's uh, open single race at, and he was the only person out of the whole field to go under 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so that gives you the, the, the conditions of this coastal regatta. Lawrence mentioned the Silver Skulls. The Buffalo Regatta is principally known for its two major trophies. The before mentioned Silver Skulls and the Grand Challenge Cup. These trophies represent 131 years of competition and are regarded as the most valuable trophies in South Africa. Because of this, the best rows in the country come down to race these two events. And Lawrence can tell you he's won the Grand. I haven't yet. Yeah, I would say that the Grand is is definitely South Africa's most prestigious uh, rowing race. I mean, that I know I've heard uh, Paul Jackson, uh, one of the, the South African coaches, say that uh, you're not anyone in South African rowing until <laughs> <laughs> you've won the Grand. So I'm sure that burns Jakey. It burns though, me. I've won a fourth of the Olympics, but no Grand Challenge. No Grand Challenge. And I'm proud to say that I managed to stop Jake getting the Grand Challenge last year uh, when I raced with my brothers. And yeah, the trophy is unbelievable. So what happened is the trophies were, were made out of silver and they were insured. And there was a fire that I, I'm not sure exactly the year, but this is way, way back in the, back in the day. Probably just after World War II, somewhere around there. And there was a fire and the two trophies were destroyed. So when the insurance paid out, it was at a time when silver was super, super cheap. So they managed to, to use the money to buy these trophies that are absolutely ginormous. If you look on our Instagram post, uh, page, we'll post a picture of them because they will blow your mind. And the base of the um, Grand Challenge race and actually of the Silver Skulls has the entire history of every single crew that has ever won the Grand on it. So it's really cool to go back, be able to look back and see the other names of people that you, you that you know now as like coaches or or old buddies in rowing, and then their names are on there. I mean, I know my dad's name is on there, which is just so cool to see. And now I have all four of my brothers' names, uh, or three of my brothers and me, on one little sticker. Yeah, it's no, it's a, it's an amazing trophy, and it represents the best rowers that this country's produced. Um, in one event, I mean, we have Don, Donovan Czech and Ramon de Clemente, bronze medalists from Athens. Their names are on that on that trophy, and you know all the all the precursors to the success in South African rowing you find on that trophy. So this this one trophy not not only is it outrage, outrageously large, the size of a small person, <laughs> but it also is is a massive historical artifact in a way for South African rowing. Yeah, it's really cool that they put it out on display. The whole regatta, it's out there and you can go and see it. And, and it's really, really cool. I, it's one of the reasons that Buffalo is just such a cool event is because it just has so much history, so much depth. And uh, and the racing is always exciting. As we're saying that the wind, I mean, it just is crazy down there sometimes. It's complete gamble. But uh, the tide on the on the river makes the, the river racing really, really intense. I mean, I know when we watch the... The Oxford Cambridge race, there's a lot of talk on the tide and the different uh, areas of the river that they're on. And, and it's practically the same. I mean, even though we're in six lanes, you, you still a lot of change lanes because the current can get so bad. So you see crews coming down the track, getting getting a length up or a length down and just moving lanes uh, into the outside lane or into the inside lane, depending on uh, which way they think is quicker. And there's tons of talk on the bank about the conditions and about uh, how to set the... Do they change the rig? Do they... Do the crews move lanes or, or all sorts of, of discussions? Yeah, it just makes the... You know what? I, I often find like rowing is just so linear and so 
the results are always uh, very predictable. And in a Buffalo, the results are far from predictable. And I think that's what, and there's so much controversy, which makes the, the racing really, really cool. Yes, no, of course. And like Lawrence said, you know, when you have an eight coming down, and then I've, I, I can tell you from first-hand experience in the, in the stroke seat, having a Cox yelling over the speakerphone, flagging his arm down, umpires yelling at you to stay in your lane, and then everyone's changing lanes. It's, <laughs> it gets crazy, but you know that's that's the regatta. That's what it offers, and you know you go there for an experience. And the Buffalo regatta, just like the Rock the Boat, offers a unique experience. It in itself offers a very unique experience and a and a very historical experience as well. Like we said. So hearing us go on about the Grand is pretty awesome, but we thought hearing it from someone who won the race 44 years ago would be even better. So Jake called up Bert Doggott, an alumni from Wimmerpan Rowing, who won the Grand in 1974 and again in 76 and 81. So here is what he had to say. Okay, so my name is Bert Doggott. Uh, I was active rowing from 1966 to around about 1982, I think it was. Um, Rode the Buffalo Grand four times, won it three times, uh, and it was a great experience. Of course, and could you just could you just tell us the years in which you when you won you, the years when where you won the Grand Challenge? Yeah, so we won it in uh, we won it in uh, 1974, 76, and 81. Uh, rode it in 77, but uh, came second unfortunately. Yeah, of course. No, I know I know plenty about coming second at the Grand. I've done it about three times now, and I've all come second. <laughs> yeah and uh so obviously the grand is like an ama- amazing experience and are there any like special memories from the races that you had yeah i i remember my first one um where, where i'd come up as a as a, as a senior b horseman uh into 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 the coxes four and i was extremely nervous um didn't know what to let the tree down i was showing with some really seasoned horsemen and the night before, I didn't sleep. And I spent a lot of uh, time between various leaves before the race. Um, but once the race started, it was it was an absolutely fantastic experience. Didn't really have many had many Coxes Falls rowing in those days. And uh, with probably about four boats in each of the races that I did. And um, yeah, maybe five at five at the most. But you know, typically there were four crews. And um, but yeah. Winning it was fantastic, and I also believe we were one of the last crews able to take the old trophy home. They stopped us doing it in, in 77 or 78. Yeah, no, the, well, I mean, it's considering how valuable it is, the trophy is these days, and considering the nature of most varsity students that win it, I think it's mm. a good idea they don't take it home. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We used to do the old tradition of filling it up with, with beer. We didn't have the money for champagne. And so we just filled it with beer and drank beer out of it. But it obviously took uh, a lot of uh, muscle power to to lift that trophy up to your mouth full of beer. And yeah. you've got a good appreciation for just the scale of the thing. I mean, it just yeah. not only is the race yeah. prestigious, but if you're winning a trophy like that, you really do want to win that race. Yeah. yeah. So it took four of us to carry it normally, uh, two to carry the trophy itself and another two to carry the base. Uh, in those days, they had the... Uh, the names of all the crews etched onto the base. Um, so, you know, to carry it around was, was, was quite an effort. And then, I mean, you spoke about it a little bit, but were there any kind of distinct rivalries that you had when you raced? And just just tell us a bit about the people that you, you raced against. 
Yeah, so mainly our main rivals in those days, I wrote for Win the Pen, our main rivals in those days were VLC uh, and Vitz. Um, Vitz had a, a really hot shot eight back in 1978, but other than that, we managed to beat them. Uh, VLC also had a couple of really hot shot crews, uh, and we had a very narrow win against them in, in 81. Um, where I was steering and uh, actually missed my turning point on that last bend coming down to the clubhouse. Um, and unbeknown to me, I actually, we were, we were lying second by about half or three quarters of the length. But uh, I had by accident brought the, the crew across into quieter water on the opposite bank from the clubhouse. Uh, and that quieter water enabled us to get past the LC in the depth and we beat them by half a length. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, um, I I uh, I tried to claim the credit um, for steering us in that direction, but of course that was incorrect. It was an it was an accident rather than a deliberate act. Well, it's a it's a good thing you did anyway, because I mean you came away with the win. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean winning was winning was was everything, I guess, and I guess it's still like that these days. No, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, and could you obviously a lot has a lot has changed technologically with that things like carbon fiber. And aluminium using in the riggers. Can you just tell us a bit what your your boat was like when you raced at yeah, the Strand? So, yeah, so we had a we had a Scunt three fine four a wooden carbol job was built in 1972. Um, her name was Phoenix, uh, and that was the boat that I won all three of my races in. We we also we rode with um, normal wooden blades. And, and we, only when I finished with my senior rowing did they introduce carbon fiber shock with the, with the wooden handle and the wooden spoon. So, and it was in the normal traditional shape of, of the wall, which, you know, had the, the loom going down the middle of the blade. Whereas I see these days you've got to, um, be able to get the blade very much into the water easier and, and get a lot more draw on the water than what we could then. One had to be very careful that uh, you didn't wash away the end of the stroke, especially. Um, but the boats, you know, I did have some experience in in, uh, in uh, carbon fiber eights, um, but not in the fours. In the wooden fours, I always found were were fantastic because they felt alive to you. Um, you know, the boat had some flicks in it, and it was quite amazing to when you got that boat up on the song as we called it then, you could actually hear the water going underneath the boat, and it was it was a most amazing sensation. And, you know, it was, you could, because there was flex in the boat, you could tell who was destabilizing or, you know, uh, not swinging right or whatever. We had a, we had a guy who used to stroke for us, his name was Lippin Kuma, and he was a scholar. But he could actually tell you who wasn't pulling his rope, and he was doing what, even though he was sitting in the stroke seat. But it was, uh, it was a real education to be able to, to row in those boats. They were fantastic. Well, what's, what position did you run the boats? Um, I think uh, I remember you, you telling me that you used to run the bow seat. I was, I was swapped between bow and two, depending whether we had the boat uh, uh, tandem rigged. Uh, but normally I used to sit up in the bow. Uh, and in my later years, I used to steer from the bow seat, which, as you said yourself, is not. It's not easy. We did a lot of we did a lot of our training at Wing Pan, um, so it was easy for me to be able to look around to see if there was any 
any crease or any other bites on the water that I needed to watch out for. Yeah, we uh, in my in the fall that I, I usually row, a very good friend of mine, uh, David, he rows on the bow seat, and I tell you what, it, this interview is going to make him laugh, considering that he always gives me shit for not for not steering properly, because he's the one that does looking and he tells me what to do. So yeah, it was easier. It was easier for me because um, I was I was the captain of the crew in later stages, so it was easier for me to to sort of call the shots as it were from the bow. And it was easier to have a, you know, to have a look and squeeze across at the other crews and call for pushes as and when we needed to. Yeah, of course. And um, because the Buffalo Regatta is like a coastal, it's a coastal race and it's, it's a river, it, we just chat about how unpredictable the weather can be and how fast and also how slow the conditions can get. Were there any kind of ridiculous conditions that you rode under? Well, yeah, we did. In, in fact, um there were there were conditions. I mean, typically the the, the grand in those days used to be rowed at about three half past three in the afternoon, which for whatever reason seemed to always be on the turn of the tide. But you also used to get that wind blowing up the river rather than down, so it did make the times quite slow at some stages. Um, and also you hit a you hit a chop coming past what they called the creek, uh, which was about seven hundred meters from the finish, if I recall correctly. Uh, and then you also had another chop as you came around that start uh, right hand bend uh, before the before the uh, before the clubhouse. The, getting getting the right lane was was all important. And and normally the, the lane closest to the clubhouse was the one which was the most favourable in in bad conditions. Yes. No, it's still the same actually. The outside lanes are usually the most sheltered because of how the current works running down the course. Yeah. The outside lanes yes. are always more sheltered. So just to, just to finish up, Bert, I just wanted to to ask how important and and you know what what kind of emotions did you feel when you did win the Grand Challenge? I mean, especially in '81 after uh, some some years. Yeah. So winning the Grand was was as great as winning SA Champs. You know, because of the age of the race and the tradition that went with it, um, everybody wanted to win the Grand and everybody wanted to get their name on the trophy. And it was a real prestigious race. Uh, as I say, it was as, as good as winning the state championships. Um, and we, everybody went all out for that. You know, our training was, was, was designed around it. So we used to do, you know, all our heavy training weekends were designed around going the grand. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful event. We, we typically used to double up the Cox 4 and the, and the uh, Coxes 4 and, and, and Rowan 8 at the end of the day. Um, and that was also, you know, an important event, but nowhere near uh, as important to us as, as the Buffalo Grand. Well, I mean, I can I can tell you that that that's not hasn't changed at all. I mean, at the Buffalo, the Grand Challenge with the Silver Skulls are both the, the best trophies to win. I mean, it's such an honour to win something like that, and and because of the it's, prestige that goes with it. I mean, it's something you know, it's special. You know, if if you look at, back at the names of some of the people on there, I mean. A name like a guy called Jack Mock. I think he won it seven or nine times, I speak under correction. But he was just an absolutely fantastic horseman. You know, and, and to have your name on a trophy with him and other ex-Springbuck horsemen, you know, guys who are legends and were really, really respected in my day. To have your name on the same trophy as them was just awe-inspiring. Yeah, no, thanks. Just a last question to finish off. Do you have any tips for... Um, those that are racing this weekend, maybe uh, something to give them an advantage for the for the grand race. 
Well, yeah, I think, you know, you said it yourself is, you know, try and get into the, to, to the bank, the, the lanes closest to the bank. Uh, I don't know how they do it nowadays, whether you're racing lanes or whether once you get a bit of, what, when we were both being clear, we could move across. No, it's exactly, it's exactly the same. If you get in front, okay. you can just move yeah. across and okay. take the outside lane. So, Get out of the start quickly, uh, get up on the guys and sit and watch and watch the fun happening behind you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Anyway, Bert, thanks a lot. I really, uh, really appreciate your, your time. Okay, fantastic. Cheers, Andrew. Cheers. Bye. It is so epic to hear someone talk about a race they did nearly 50 years ago and realize that it's nearly identical to the race we do today. My favorite part is when Bert spoke about drinking beer out of the trophy. I think if you try to do that now, you'd be banned from the Buffalo. And even though the race has barely changed, it is epic to hear about the progress our sport has made. From wooden boats and oars to full carbon fiber, and since then we have sent over 40 athletes to the Olympics and produced 8 Olympic medalists. And most of those dreams start right there on the Buffalo River. We've spoken about the, the Grand Challenge quite a lot. Let's talk about the Silver Skulls a little bit. So the Silver Skulls trophy, it goes to the best senior A men's sculler at the event. And like Lauren said, it normally goes to the best color in South Africa. Well, that's debatable because... No, I agree with that. You agree? Oh, you won it, haven't you? You bastard. I won it last year. Yeah, no, you did win it last year. But, and Kyle, who did pretty well last year at World Championships. Yeah, we had, a, we had a mega race down the track yeah, against me and race. Kyle really hacking it out at each other. I mean, I'm, I've spent a fair amount of time in a single, but nothing on what Kyle has. So it was... Quite an intense race and uh, really cool to get that win on over on him because we didn't race a single the rest of the year against each other. So really cool to, yeah, to nice. have that in, in the in the pocket. And but yeah, it was it's a crazy race and it's really hard to do both events as well. So do you know who's going to take it this year? Because Carl is racing in the fours at the Grand Challenge in the single skull in the silver skulls. Who does that leave? Look, Rog might still put them in the single. Like you never know if he if he doubles some of them up and and raises them both. And if Kyle races the single, I do think that that he'll take that win. But the other the the other guys that my money would be on is uh, is uh, Vaughn and uh, Obi because they spend all their time racing in the lightweight men's double, and obviously a lot of that time was also in the single. So I think they all have really good racing. My money would be on Obi to to take to that. To take win. that, yeah. yes. I mean Nick Oberhoser, who was racing a lightweight double last year at World Champs. His partner, Vaughn Bortis, is not an under-23 anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see if Nick goes to under-23s in a lightweight single. And I can tell you that he's put down some very impressive single results in this country, probably among the fastest lightweights we've produced. And he's still an under-23. So, you know, what's, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think he can get on the podium this year if he goes? Yeah, that'll, that'll be very interesting if he, if he goes to race under 23s. Um, I do think that he will be on the podium though. I mean, they almost won the podium together in the double and, uh, you know that the double's a, a stronger event than the light, well, debatable, but I think it's a stronger event than the, the lightweight single. So I think if he races it another year of experience, another year of training, he can definitely make the podium, which will be pretty cool to see. And we need some. We need to carry on our results from last year. Our domination in the in the singles. So we need yes, some guys course, to go in yeah. and, and win the singles. Now we've been speaking about the Grand Challenge and Silver Skulls, which are open events for clubs and universities. We're going to chat a little bit about schools racing and how this regatta is such a pivotal event in the calendar. It's the last regatta before South African the South African Junior Championships, and because that's at the coast and because of how prestigious it is, you see 
all the Gauteng crews come down and race against the coastal schools, which is the first time they're going to meet before SA Champs. Yeah, practically since uh, boat race at the, in the end of November last year. For those rows out there that's, that know a bit about the international scene, this event is very similar in nature towards the Lucerne Regatta, where all the top crews come to this prestigious event and race down the course. And it's a precursor and a warm-up almost towards SA Champs. And Lawrence can tell you a bit about the curse on the school's eights. Quite a funny thing on the, on the stats, on the, the winner of the Buffalo Regatta in the eight, uh, 90% of the time doesn't win SA School's Champs. I think it's only ever happened once or twice in the last 20 years where the school the school crew that's won Buffalo has won SA Champs. So we'll, it's very interesting to see who's going to take it, but often uh, the person that wins then obviously just gives so much hunger to the crew that comes second so that they go back and, and use the last two weeks SA Champs uh, to really make the training count. But uh, the school, and it's, it's also a really cool event because the, the schools and the seniors race together, just like Rock to Boat or VLC Sprints or... There's only a few regattas on the on the on the program where the schools and the the senior rows are all together racing in in one event, and it's it's very very cool to to see and and to to be there when the schools are racing and for them to be able to see the senior racing. I think it adds a good dynamic to to the event. Kirst is is not going down to to the Buffalo Regatta. I think over the last three times that she's been down, she's just had such a mess. I think last year her race got cancelled because of the weather. The year before. Also, I think the weather got bad and she her race got cancelled and, and she just always has drama um, at the Buffalo Regatta. So I think she's put out some really good performances in the last few weeks and she just said, let me stay up here, do, carry on the training and, and, and keep my head down. So, yeah, really upset to, to not see her go down, but still, I think a good call though, considering the last few years for her. Yeah, and no, I think you always want, with, with South Africa around, you always want Kirst around because she is the best we've currently got. But like Lawrence said, you know, Kirsten's comp- you could say that Kirst is compromising her training to a certain extent because when you do go down to these competitions, you know, you, you, you're tapering for the race. You're not necessarily training and looking to get faster. You're trying to put out the best performance you have. And the last couple of years, the performance aspect about Kirst's uh, competition hasn't been there. So, you know, if Kirst is looking to be the best in the world or possibly perform late in the season, you know, she wants to get everything out of her weeks of training. And that's unfortunately why she's not going down this year. Yeah, and then uh, just lastly, it's a really cool event for the coaches to see the up-and-coming school kids. You know, all the senior crews are there. They have time to compare against uh, against the school kids and the seniors. And I think Roger's always uh, sitting there looking out for, for who's performing under the big pressure of the Buffalo Regatta and uh, and really looking for, for who's up-and-coming. So I think the big ones to watch this weekend will be the, the school singles, so boys and girls uh, under-19 single. The, the men's eight and the, the women's um, under 19 uh, women's Cox quad. Those are the, the, the three big events or four big events that, that the, the coaches and that we'll be watching and chatting about next week after the regatta. So, and then obviously the grand and the, the silver skulls. Yeah, and that's all we have to say for the Buffalo regatta coming up this weekend. We just wanted to bring you a brief and informative episode about what's going to happen and the stories behind the regatta and just a bit of the ethos of the, and the atmosphere that the regatta produces but next week we'll go over the results from the buffalo regatta so stay tuned for that and of course thanks for listening yeah and we've got some really exciting episodes in the next few weeks um especially with so much racing and so many results coming out it's, it's going to be very cool so yeah thanks for listening and we're out hey it's jake and lawrence again 
If you're enjoying the show, please share it and let your friends know about it. Also, don't be afraid to leave a comment telling us what you liked, what you didn't like, or any ideas that you have for the show. And you can leave that at theroshowsa at gmail.com. That's theroshowsa at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and contact us there if you just search The Row Show or on Instagram uh, where the tag is at RoshoSA. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Britain L, so that's Britain underscore L. And you can find Jake at at Jake Milton Green, all lowercase, all one word. You can also find any info or links on this week's episode in our show notes below. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for listening in. We out. I think we're good at that, hey? That was fucking sounding good, yeah. dude.